please introduce yourself and tell us what you do. Yeah, so hello. Uh, my name's Aaron Duran. I am a writer, podcaster, storyteller, and just general creator in Portland, Oregon. Wow. Welcome to Comic Book Curious. Will you please... <laughs> Please tell us a little bit about Geek in the City and what this podcast is and all the things. Sure. So Geek in the City started as a blog. Oh, my gosh. Almost 18 years ago. I started as a blog that just highlighted um, creators and events in Portland that I felt like were being passed up by some of our local papers. And that's how it started. I just reviewed art and comics or events from local creators. I would eventually do like written interview, like I'd send them questions and they'd send me answers. And then about two years into that, I got into podcasting with a focus primarily on film. It was just a film review site is how it started. But, you know, as you know, it's like film and comics and video, like they all started to merge. I wanted to interview video game designers, film composers, comic book writers. And a lot of the movie handlers would come back and say, well, you're a film review site. So why do you want to, we don't know how that fits up. So it shifted into just a generic kind of pop culture site or podcast, which there are thousands of them now, but 16 years ago, there weren't. <laughs> I think it was me and maybe Kevin Smith with his early Smodcast stuff. And then that's how it started. Um, it's had a rotating cast of, I've, 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 I think I've been the only constant on the show. We've had a rotating cast of, of guests and co-hosts. And the form it takes now is probably the, I've been proud of the entire show. So I don't want to especially if an old co-host listens to this, hey, jerk, what do you mean it's not your favorite? Um, <laughs> I've always been proud of the show. But I feel like the last few years, it's achieved what I have always wanted it to be. And that is a mix of pop culture, have fun, dork out about Star Trek and Star Wars and comics, but also talk about how the, how the pop part does interact with culture and how do they feed off each other? How do they support each other? And how do they have sometimes have brought it down? So a lot of issues of like representation and gender equality. And my two co-hosts, um, Denise Espinoza and Cable Hashitani, are really bring like fresh, completely different insights. Um, my co-host uh, Cable has been active in the Portland art scene for a long time. He used to run Portland's only comic art gallery, sequential art galleries. Yeah. And our, wow. our other co-host, Denise, by her own admission, she's like, I'm a late in life geek, as it were. She's like, I didn't get into nerdy stuff until her, you know, late 20s, early 30s. So a lot of the stuff she's seeing with brand new eyes, as opposed to my jaded, like, you know, you kids, you know, in my day, when Indiana Jones fell down in the pit, there was just a piece of glass protecting him from the snake. <laughs> now they just CGI'd it out, you know. So that that's, yeah, that's what Geek in the City is. And we still bring on uh, creators. We get in a lot of interviews, uh, local comic book creators, filmmakers, but if we think it's like any way, even kind of nerd adjacent, we'll do it. Like we brought in brewers that are inspired by pop culture. So the stuff they make maybe has a pop culture connection. Wow. Uh, we've interviewed fitness traders about helping like nerds get healthy. So if it's, if it's kind of pop culture, even if it's adjacent and we think it's interesting, like we'll reach out to them and try to have them on the show. So wow. that's uh that's geek in the city there. It's awesome. It's everything that I'm looking for in life. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of fun. Thanks. So can you give an example of, of uh, for example, what is it? You said Cajun, her, uh, you, the, the co-host that, that has the new eyes. Oh, um, oh, uh, Denise. Denise. Oh, well, Cable and I have been like old nerds for a long time. Denise, yeah. 
So Denise, can you give an example of uh, Denise's fresh eyes? Because I'm a Denise, so that that's interesting to me. Uh, uh, tell me, like the, um, the, the latest thing that Denise was like, no way. Well, I'm trying to think the latest thing because now that she's into it, she's a voracious oh, consumer yeah? of it. You know, like yeah, yeah, she just she doesn't do any. She goes head first on almost everything. Um, trying to think of something we haven't talked about it on the show, but she started with the new Dune movie coming out. She like read the book finally because her 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 spouse loves the book, so she wanted to read it. And um, it was fun. It was funny to see her perspective of it because I'm trying to think here. One of the things she had said about it when she kind of gave her little kind of quick nerdy review about Dune, and it really kind of you know hit hard as this kind of joke this is how she kind of looks at things she's like okay so the book is essentially about like a spoiled rich kid who's kind of given everything but has to go somewhere new and meet new people and learns a life lesson falls in love with someone then dad dies and he has to rise up and he's been bet he's been taught to be a better person you know by the girl he meets or the people he meets oh and also he finally learns how to drive she's like yeah dean is she's like dune's a teen romance comedy whether any of you want to admit it or not uh, <laughs> so she'll come at it with stuff like that or like when i first brought her on she had never watched star trek before the only trek she had saw she had watched was the initial jj abrams 2009 and she's like well this star trek's kind of cool and i said well you're kind of co-hosting the show now what if we what if i create something called we call it trek vacation where i personally pick what i thought were the 10 best tos episodes and she'd watch them and every week she would dissect them with these like brand new eyes. And then that spun on to every, you know, every Trek show stopping, I think at Enterprise, because then we just, there weren't enough new Trek to, to break down. Wow. That is cool. I want to do that. Uh, we're, <laughs> what's the name of that uh, series that I can look at the 10? It was, it was part of Geek in the City. So it was just called Trek Ucation. Trek Ucation. So I'm sure if you like look on our geekstation.com, I should make it easier to find all the different episodes that way. That that's yeah. that's a great uh, point. It makes me think about so you, now we have pod the podcast kind of movement, and we have YouTube, and we have uh, blogs. And what do you find uh, as someone that's kind of like Denise uh, in in this who's new? What do you find? What goes where? Uh, what should you look for podcasts? What should you look for in uh, blogs? Uh, this is stuff that I'm really learning about. I, I, I personally don't read as much as I listen to stuff or right. watch stuff. Sure. Some of the things I look for, I mean, I, I primarily I'll admit, I just look to be entertained. If you could inform me the whole time. I do have some podcasts that are 100% kind of news and information driven. But those are quick little in the mornings. They're almost like news briefs for me. But for the most part, I just, I want to be entertained. When it comes to anything pop culture wise in terms of podcasts, I intentionally stay away from the shows that are like three white dudes. Because like I grew up around that perspective, you know, but most of my friends are that, you know, I'm I'm half, you know, I'm Mexican-American. So, you know, I'm definitely there a little bit, but I've got slightly different perspectives too. And it's not a knock against any of those shows. They all could be great. They could be amazing people. <clears throat> I just don't need to hear that perspective anymore. So... I You've got to be pretty special for me to find a web because I always see like someone will have like a cartoon picture of their show. I'm like, oh, look, it's three uh, white dudes with like their hats turned backwards and they're yelling about Star Wars. I'm like, all right. I mean, OK, well, I don't need that anymore. Yeah, that's something that that I've learned a little bit about from Sean and from from John. They've been telling me that uh, there's there's a whole subculture of 
you know, there's been backlash against when Star Wars has done progressive things or or different white angry males being like, stop putting your politics into my, you know, geekdom or right. whatever. As if things like Star Wars or comic books were never political from day one. Right. I mean, if you didn't understand the politics of Star Wars, then you weren't, yeah, you, you were, then you weren't paying attention. It's literally a group of oppressed rebels fighting a horrible fascist regime, <laughs> you know, and these aloof space wizards that became so out of touch with the people they were supposed to serve that they were wiped out, you know, um, you know, they hear like, my comics are never political. I'm like, really, Captain America is punching Hitler on his first issue. Like, you can't tell me that comics were super, a lot of, I mean, the earliest Superman comics before he could fly, he was throwing slumlords off the top of buildings because they were gouging the people who couldn't afford to live there. So, oh yeah, the earliest Superman, he had no problem kind of taking out bad guys if they had it coming. Whoa. Yeah. So like, guys, comics have always been political. Always, always, always. You just chose to ignore it because you like the flashy costumes and the lasers, which oh, I do too, but, right, you know. And I've been thinking about how it's a worldwide a thing now uh where avengers is everywhere and and superman and justice league is everywhere so it's a it's a it's a very loud minority most likely uh yes very much so they're very loud aggressively loud that's why i get frustrated when larger companies you know bow down to them you know kind of give in oh, this is gonna get you so much hate mail like the last the final star wars movie like rise of skywalker exists because disney panicked over the backlash they got from The Last Jedi. Regardless of what you think in terms of quality of Last Jedi, I happen to love it. But in terms of Ryan Johnson kind of flipping the story on its head and putting, you know, giving more diverse roles and stuff like that, you know, Disney got a lot of, well, they felt like they were getting a lot of angry press from fans. But like you said, it's just a very vocal, aggressively angry minority that are just relentless. And I actually think it's it's potentially dangerous when these companies cave to that because uh, they're just feeding the worst of us. They're feeding our worst habits. So what um, do you do as someone who cares deeply about diversity and, you know, underrepresented voices and all the things? I mean, personally, I try to in my stories, I try to make sure I have diverse stories. If I'm writing about something I haven't experienced and I don't really know a lot of, I'll first I'll think long and hard about should I be writing about it. But, you know, I want these stories intermingled within the tales I tell. So I will, you know, reach out to people and do research and talk and make sure I'm handling it as best as possible. And then, you know, if another company is doing something like that, you know, you have to support them. This, this is something that happens in comics a lot. You'll hear there's a lot of talk about how fans want diverse characters, uh, diverse stories in their comics. But the cold fact is, is that comics is a business like any other. And if those stories don't sell, that publisher is going to revert back to what they know at least keeps them going. So it's then it's on us to then support it, like, you know, champion it, try to get it out there. But art doesn't live in a vacuum. So once it's out there, you have to be an active participant in it. Otherwise, it will just fall back to what these publishers and these movie industries know is safe. Mm. You know, I think in general, almost all media companies are incredibly risk adverse. A, because it's expensive to do these things. They're not cheap to make. Right. So they're always going to want to revert back to what is the safest way for them to make money. Right. And Black Panther yeah. and, and Captain Marvel made, you know, billion bucks. So yeah, like the first Wonder Woman, you know, killed it. That. And that's proof that that works. 
but it's also this weird double-edged sword because movies that are, you know, say they primarily have a, a black cast or a female-led cast, those movies in Hollywood and those comics or whatever, they have to be grand slams from day one. Mm. Like if they're not hits, every single entertainment media site is like, you know, is America ready for an entire black cast of superheroes? You know, box office says no. Whereas, you know, I always feel like bad on like kicking this guy when he's kind of down, but whatever. Like how many times can Johnny Depp bomb before Hollywood keeps quits giving him $10 million? <laughs> you know, that's what I mean. Like right. the quote safe things at the box office or comics are allowed to fail over and over and over again. You know, someone like Ryan Coogler or Patty Jenkins, they got to kill it every single time or the industry writes them off. And I think that's slowly changing, but that feels still very much like that's the issue. How do you approach uh, something like uh, Black Panther? You probably know all the lore and the backstory of it, but for someone like me or <laughs> Denise, you know, I, I've never read a Black Panther comic, but I've read, I've seen documentary about the history of it, and, and mm -hmm. uh, I know it was written by some white dudes with good intentions. But I started with the movie, and that's kind of what kind of launched me into this world. Was I was working in Harlem. Uh, mm -hmm. with a bunch of awesome kids. And when that movie came out and Wonder Woman came out, it, it was transcendental, man. It was really very powerful. And I thought, oh. what a better way to reach them, but with, you know, something like superheroes like Black Panther and Fortnite and, you know, where do you put some pizza or some spinach on their pizza and, you know, go like you're doing, go where they're interested and then right. try to, you know, help them be better humans. So I don't understand. Like, how do you, how do I? So like, for example, you're... just for people like uh, Denise and I, uh, uh, like what you did with Star Trek with her, mm -hmm. what, what would you do with people that are interested in learning about, what would you say to them? Uh, people that are interested in learning about the diversity in comics, uh, for example, Black Panther. And now there's the Black Lightning that I, that I, they have a TV show and all the other mm -hmm. diverse characters that are out there that maybe haven't got the shine that they deserve. Uh, like how would I recommend people discover those characters and stuff? Yeah. What are the top five or 10 that we should check out? So I, mean, I will admit that I like Black Panther. I don't like, I didn't collect a lot of Black Panther because um, there's just only so many hours and bank accounts that I could pull off back in the day. Yeah. So what, what I actually do is I just reach out online or, you know, friends that maybe, you know, are into those characters say, Hey, I, I dug the heck out of the movie. Like what are the, the best story arcs? I think, especially with comics, the thing that I think intimidates a lot of people, and I get it, is that comics have a massive history. Yeah. I mean, even characters that are felt to be relatively new, like Black Panther, he's pushing 50 as a character. So like, oh yeah, he's, he's so new and fresh. Like, I've been around a while. And that can be intimidating when you look up, you know, keep this way, Black Panther comics. And all of a sudden, like the scroll just doesn't stop. That can be intimidating. You know, just publicly reach out and say, hey, you know what? I really loved Miss Marvel. I really loved Black Panther. I really loved Wonder Woman. Like, what are the top three stories that I you think I should read? And and be okay with the fact that they're going to be out of weird continuity order because these publishers do collect the best stories together. And also, if you have a local comic book shop in your area, just go in and ask them. Good, a good comic book shop owner is going to want nothing more than to sell you a bunch of comics. Uh, I, I managed one for a while. I know Sean did also. And I, I don't want to speak for him, but I'm pretty sure he felt the same way. And there was nothing more fun than when someone came in, regardless of age, and said, hey, I just watched, just keep using, I just watched Black Panther. That movie was amazing. 
my, my kids love it. Oh my God, we felt represented on screen. It was the best. We want more. So what can we do? Nothing makes comic book shop more happy. Go, oh, come with me, children, you know? <laughs> and if your local shop owner doesn't do that, they're not going to be around that much long, longer. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, don't go to the shops that don't do that. Just flat out. Just don't go to them. Right. Yeah. Use, use your local comic book shop owner or just talk to fans that are into it. You're going to get every once in a while, someone be like, oh, someone who only knows comics because the movies. Well, screw that person. Don't listen right. to them. Like block them, mute them. I, I don't understand the concept of the, of like, the, you know, the geek or the nerd that wants something and it's just for themselves. This is mine now. <laughs> I will share anything I love with anyone till eventually they'll look at me like, oh, I've made a huge mistake talking to you about, you know, this comic book character. Uh, I'm going to go now. <laughs> He's not going to shut up about it. Tell me a little bit about all of your creation as a writer and creator and what you do uh, and where you get your inspiration for, for all of that stuff. So I've written a couple of YA technically horror novels. They're not too scary, but I've written a couple of YA horror novels. I've written some comics. I've self-published some books. I have one coming out with a major publisher, but it's in that horrible stage where I can't say anything beyond that, which is always frustrating to an interviewer. I know. <laughs> Congrats, Sorry. though. That's great. Yeah, no, it's awesome. But at that stage, like, I can't say anything still. I've done work for Activision for video game tie-ins. Um, I co-wrote an issue of Lazarus with Greg Rucka, who's one of the men who is one of the writers who inspired me to become a comic book writer. So to work with him one day, I finally told him when we were done. I was like, so just FYI, you know, and it was really nice. What did you learn from the working with him? Oh, man, I learned more working one issue with him that I probably had in my previous, whatever, eight years of writing comics on my own. Working with him is like a, a master class in storytelling. Yeah, a, a lot from technique to style to, you know, brevity, how to break down a panel, even from the technical side of count how many lines of dialogue are on your page, you know, and unless the story really needs it, you know, pull back a certain amount. A reminder that comics is also is primarily visual, so don't make your job a pain in the butt for the artist and the pencilers and stuff, um, which I usually did. I've gotten a lot better about that. I'm recently looking into, I, there's this cool place called Comics Experience that Andy Schmidt, who mm -hmm. uh, he, he, he founded this, and I, I took a course there. I took a course with Carl Potts uh, at, at School of Visual Arts and Jim Higgins at uh, the Society of Illustrators. Um, and I am now still, I'm like right at the beginning of the writing journey. It's still very, yeah. very, and now I'm looking at stage uh, 32 on character breakdowns and opening scenes. And, and what is the difference between, I was just talking to this uh, guy who was very, I hold comics in high regards. I study this art form and this is what I do. And it's a different medium uh, that shouldn't be thought of as you know, a stepping stone or as part of a transmedia. Yeah. Can you speak to that a little? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm by no means the most voracious comic creator out there. You know, I'm, I'm, I hope to be getting there, but yeah, your friend is absolutely correct. You sh no one should get into comics with the eye of this will become a movie or a TV. This will be my entrance into television or feature film writing or, or, or whatever. Comics writing is its own discipline it's its own art style um in my opinion and i've written screenplays stage plays novels it is the most difficult form of writing i've ever done and i've spoken to many writers who have bounced back and forth comic book writing is hard 
Mm. Um, there are many factors to take into account. You have limited page count. You have to factor in how the panel is, where do you want the emotional punch to happen? And you're not just writing for your audience, first off. You're writing for everyone involved in the book to create one singular vision. And it is it is not easy. It is very difficult. And like, I feel like if you can write a comic script pretty well, you can ease into other things much easier. But yeah, it's comics should never be seen as a vehicle to break into another industry with. If it happens, great. If that's your goal, frankly, it's going to show in your comic script. It's When I read a comic that I know, I can tell within the first 10 pages, oh, you're using this as a storyboard to pitch this as a movie. How? How can you tell that? They just feel different. They read different. The pacing is kind of off on them. And they also tend to feel like whatever is popular at the time in terms of the pop culture zeitgeist. Say whatever, the the lone, you know, the lone perfect John Wick style assassin. If you read a book like that six months later, it'll just feel like it. it will feel different. It will read different. And often they also look kind of rushed. They don't look as well polished as a script that was written just to be a comic book. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, it sounds kind of high and mighty because I've been reading comics for so long. You just start to notice it eventually when you start to read masterful comic work to stuff that you'll just you can just tell you can tell the difference even something that eventually gets optioned you can tell when it started as i am telling a tale using comics as my format and that's what i want to do that's the goal um so even if those get optioned they will still read like a comic but someone who just sets out to well i'm gonna do a graphic novel and then shop it around and it'll be my movie but my graphic novel will be like a living storyboard they might make it as movies they're always bad books Wow. I think. Yeah, they're almost always bad ones. Interesting. And you, so to someone like me, a, a beginning, a beginner uh, in the comic book world, what what are three things that I should focus on really? And But I'm going to hire a, a professional writer. I'm hoping to hire someone from comics experience mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, say, here are my ideas. Make it, make it awesome. Right. <laughs> what are what 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 where should I start? Because I have I have this universe I've created. I have the characters I've created. I have the concept. But what can I do to make this professional writer that I hire make it an easier process for them? I think part of it is how much how much of themselves are they going to be able to put into it, and that kind of comes down to that really boring part of ownership and and contracts. Is it straight work for hire or would you envision that eventually they might have some say in these characters if they bring in someone new? Like if they create a new character who's needed for the story, is it theirs or is it yours? Mm-hmm. That that really influences how a writer will approach it, um, mm. kind of how much passion of themselves they'll put into it. And funding helps offset that a lot. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, but I would think in terms of like skill, find someone who understands how the medium of comics works as a storytelling vessel. Yeah. Um, and that is primarily visual. The best comics should be able to tell an emotional story without a single word of dialogue. And that comes with working really with an artist very closely, um, developing a good rapport with them. And a lot of it is also, it, it shares a lot of similarities, even though it's kind of just bashing on it. It does share a lot of similarities with film. Um, Get in as late as you can on the scene and get out as early as you can. What's that mean? It's like when you get into a scene as late as you possibly can, so without losing the audience. So I'm trying to think of of movies that or shows that have done this before. And there's tons. I'm just going blank. It's 
it's jumping in right at the moment where your lead character or your event is happening that immediately draws you in and you're, but you're not confused. You know what's happening. And then instead of resolving that issue or resolving that, I don't mean the book, but like that issue, that one moment of the scene, instead of resolving it and then lingering for a few seconds for reactions, like get out, like right as it happens, like get out or even get out right before it happens. You do that. I'm just, this is a, I'll use like a shootout, let's say. Sure. Open with your lead character. Let's say they're, they're diving behind a couch as bullets are flying at them. They don't have a gun. They're diving and they're yelling, you know, you got the wrong, you know, I'm not who you want anymore. I'm not that person anymore. I, I left that life behind. It's too late for you, Johnny, you know, and have that quick dialogue in that scene and then have, you know, your mate, Johnny, let's say we're still using that name. You know, he, he, there's a quick fight, tumbles around, gun goes loose. Johnny grabs the gun. Getting out of the scene as quick as, as early as late as early as you can is instead of having Johnny then pull like aim and pull the trigger, just have him bring it up and like you know it's coming. He's bringing it up and maybe put in a quick sound effect as you t- like you turn the you know instead of seeing all that you bring it up and then there's a quick pop. You turn the page. You don't need to know that Johnny shot that guy. We all know it. We know what happened. We knew it was going to happen. So you didn't need to, sh- it's the one time like you don't need to show it because it's going to be much more vibrant a scene in the reader's head. So then you, you turn the page and now instead of him standing over the corpse, blah, 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 you've got him now on the phone and, you, and the artist draws in the background, the corpse is lying there and he's calling some secret agency. Like you shouldn't have done this. You lost one more. I guess I am back. Click. You don't have to give any of that internal, mo- you just you get, yeah, get in as late as you can, leave as early as you can and make the reader want more. That's, um, that's, that's, it feels <laughs> like you're saying really make it dense and condense it if you can, uh, mm-hmm. which is, it sounds, it sounds smart. Right. Really. Which, which then when you want to have scenes where you want the reader and the character to breathe, it has more emotional impact that way. When you then want to take a whole page and maybe have nine panels where it's just one character maybe talking with another, like one balloon per panel. It's a deliberate forcing the reader to slow down. You've been pop, 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 pop. (gasps) Oh, okay. And you bring it in a little bit better. Wow. This is something that I just had a conversation with uh, as a newbie uh, with with, um, John, where I was talking, I I started watching Invincible. And I -hmm. I said, I... As an adult who has watched Disney cartoons and and all that, but to, to and I used to love Saturday morning cartoons and cartoons before school, but I've never really watched any of those Justice Leagues or or cartoons as an right. adult. Uh, I'm watching it and I'm noticing how it feels like they want us to do more work since you're not able to see the the, the expressions mm-hmm. of humans. Uh, that you maybe as a comic book reader or someone is used to doing the work and filling in the blanks and doing all the things for me it just felt like extra work right watching yeah. watching right. this cartoon but I, i'm i'm trying to to watch it with that type of imaginative point of view as opposed to uh this is too much work for me right yeah i don't remember who told it to me there's a there's a phrase I was told one time that um, comics tell the story in panels. The reader inter- the reader interprets it in the gutters. The gutters are that line between panels. The reader's finding something in the gutters too, and, and, and 
Gutters is such a horrible phrase. Comics is really bad at giving phrases, like giving good names to things that make sense. Like even in conventions, we call it artist alley. Well, alleys are never clean. They're always dingy and gross. You know, instead of calling it a panel break, we call it gutters. It's like, we really got to get better at making our own industry sound better. <laughs> um, you know, um, be like if movies called the the fade, the, the dirty wipe or whatever. Like, <laughs> That'd be a very comic thing to do. <laughs> That's really great. Who I know there's a really robust scene in uh, in Portland. Do you have collaborators that you work with, or do you kind of lock yourself in a room? Uh, I know you said comics is very collaborative, but yeah. you know when you when you the first concept of it is that uh, collaborative, or is that you? All depends on the job. All, all depends on what you're doing. Um, any of my creator owned stuff that is personally just my story. That's all on me. I, whatever inspired me, I come up with a concept. Uh, I'll spend sometimes months breaking down ideas and characters and just kind of let this, the concept build until I think it's maybe strong enough to then create a pitch over it. Uh, and then it depends what route I want to go. If I want to go through a publisher that will help me hire an artist, that's pretty difficult to do, especially if you're not a really well-known name, which, I, you know, I'm... I'm known, but I'm not well that no. I'm not known well enough that I can walk in with a pitch to Image and be like, Haha. well, actually, no one can do that at Image. I shouldn't say that. Uh, I couldn't walk into Dark Horse with a pitch and be like, ah, look how great this is. Find to be an artist. Let us create. Um, <laughs> but then sometimes you'll get what's called work for hire, which is a company hires you to write for your, like, that's what yours would be. It would be work for hire for uh -huh. whoever you bring in. Yeah. And a lot of times that, that can be very collaborative. Like when I did stuff for Activision for um, one of their first person shooters, it was a room of, I think the room had eight writers and there were a couple artists that were local. And in that way, it acts very much like what you hear about like a TV writer room. We've got characters, we're bouncing ideas off each other. And then you're given assignments. Okay, you write this character, you write this character, you write that one. But you've got all these notes from everyone's ideas. You distill it down come back next week with the meeting saying, this is the story idea, you know, break it apart. You're like, shoot holes in it now. Every writer does that and it, they help you make a better story. And I, I like both processes, to be honest. They both have their own difficulties and their own benefits. I think thanks to COVID, I would like to be in more writer's rooms just because I'd like to have more interaction. Yeah. Uh, writing as a rule is a very lonely business. You spend it here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's it's nice to kind of see another human and just bounce ideas off them. Yeah, I can't wait to learn. So, and this is the thing. Maybe you can give me some hit, uh, tips. I don't want to. I don't want to be a burden. Be like, oh my gosh, I got to explain everything. I I do want to learn, without slowing the process down. Maybe you can give me some some tactics on how to be not annoying, uh, but supportive. <laughs> like as a writer or as the guy paying the guy uh, and okay. wanting to learn. <laughs> All right. So one of the things I would recommend, and I recommend this to anyone who wants to get into creating comics at any level, it's a book I always recommend people get called Understanding Comics by Scott McCloud. Okay. It's been out for a while. It is still the book I recommend to almost everyone starting out. Uh, and he's still out. You go to his website. He still made other books and stuff, but he really gives you the bare bones about how comics work. And it's primarily focused on the art side, but every writer should know that. In fact, the more you know about the process of creating it visually, the better a writer you will be, the better creator you will be. Be very succinct in what you want. 
and then trust the person you hired. Um, trust them with the process. Got it. That would be like kind of the, the best advice. If you start to make friends with comic creators online, yeah, um, just just reach out to them and say, hey, when you have the time, is is there something you can recommend to me? Um, in fact, here I'll make another recommendation to you. There's a writer out there named Jim Zub, Z-U-B. He writes some really he he writes he's a good he's a good comic writer he's, he's great, but on his blog he posts a lot about his process and the business side. He puts up sample scripts. I think you can donate if the, if you want, but I believe he does most of it for free. Jim Zub's site is a really great resource from writing from breaking down to the the economics of comics, the pitch process. It's he's got a really good resource on his site that I highly recommend. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's that's fantastic. I'll check them out. Uh, very ASAP. I, I I've been looking <laughs> at I've been looking at stage thirty two, which is about films, and mm-hmm. and now I'm not going to. I'm going to be like that's for films, <laughs> uh, specifically. But Jim Zub and Scott McCloud. Yeah. What uh, uh I want to inter uh ask some questions that Sean and I came up with. Uh, okay. It's, it's kind of like a little bit of a, a speed round, kind of. So okay. uh, it's just fun questions uh, that, that you have. Okay. Ready? Who is your favorite fictional character and why? This is, this is going to kind of seem a little weird. And favorite, it will shift depending on my mood. But I always kind of have a top five that kind of bounce around for the lead spot. Okay, cool. And, and for some reason right now, it's... Um, it's Dr. McCoy uh, from Star Trek, not not X-Men. Uh, you know, yeah, it's Leonard McCoy because he kind of he's always pitched as like the hothead of Star Trek. You know, Spock's always telling him, you know, you must calm your emotions. Right. It's just that he's passionate. It's that he cares so much. That's what makes him pop off. Not that he isn't rational about what he thinks. The, the first thing McCoy always thinks about is, well, how is this going to affect everybody on the ship? Like, yeah. have either of you thought of that yet? And, and so I really, that's my approach of like, yeah, that could be cool, but have you thought about its repercussions? Like, what's it going to do? And then in my head, I've created this whole like backstory as to why he's that way. And um, yeah, so I, I kind of like his approach. And right now, yeah, I think, um, yeah, McCoy's probably, Dr. McCoy is my character right now. Could you tell me a little bit le- what it's like to be a Trekkie? My dad used to watch it in the 80s. And, you know, I, I love Star Wars growing up. And, uh, you know, I never really got into Star Trek, uh, mm-hmm. besides the movies, just like Denise, like with the J.A. Abrams, I thought they were awesome and kick-ass, right? And it's more, right. it, I think it was more, um, maybe because it was less action scenes or, or, or something yeah. like that. Tell me what, why Trekkies are Trekkies. Oh, gosh. I think it's because we like the, I think we like the initial concept. And this isn't the, the space part. It's that the humanity got better. Like we learned from our mistakes, we worked together and we got out to the stars with the goal of knowledge, exploration and helping everyone else, just making things better. I find that very appealing. And don't be wrong, I love the space battles, you know, Wrath of Khan's great, even though, I mean, even Wrath of Khan has its moral messages to it. But yeah, I think it's that Star Trek from day one painted a more hopeful vision of the future for us, Um, a vision that has you know, for the most part, wiped out poverty, has wiped out racism, sexism, gender issues, like it all has kind of gone away. But that also then creates some story elements of like, well, yeah, it went away for you folks, but 
it's still happening here. And now you're trying to enforce your will of what you think is utopia on this culture. So that even then opens up more stories, which then as a storyteller and someone who consumes stories makes me look at the world differently again. So Star Trek is always asking questions. It's always in one way, it's making you feel good and it's fun. It's always asking questions about like, why do you think that way? Why would you, what should you think different? And it's, you know, it's, it's commitment to diversity, at least on paper. It hasn't always succeeded because it's run by humans, right? you know, the series. But it's got that, inner, it's got that concept of, of idic, infinite diversity and infinite combinations. That's a oh. foundation of Star Trek. It's like in, in, in universe, it's the foundation of a lot of the Vulcan philosophy, but that was a foundation of the series. So I think especially a lot of new Trek series are really trying to embrace that. And uh, yeah, it's it's an, it's an inspiring, hopeful look at the future that happens to sometime have space battles. You know what I think is cool uh, about you, which many things, but one of the things is you're is I'm interested in the human interest side of this whole pop culture world, and it seems to be what you've kind of zeroed in on. Uh, whether it's the fitness thing or whatever, uh, you, you're interested in how it affects humanity. And the power of it. And I'm fascinated with the same kind of thing. And I guess mm-hmm. when you were talking about Star Trek, it, it really resonated to me. Like, oh, yeah, th- that's that's why maybe I'm going to end up as a Trekkie. <laughs> yeah, no. And it's, uh, you know, yeah. And it's it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's Dorian. It's got its cringe. It's got its cringeworthy moments. Every everything of pop culture, everything humans create are going to have that moment going, oh, that was rough. I don't think I'm going to, I don't think I'm going to watch that episode ever again, nor am I ever going to talk about it. And even the people who make the series be like, yeah, that was a bad call. Oh, is that right? You know? Oh yeah. Yeah. There's an, there's an issue, there's an issue. There's an episode of the next generation. I think it's either the second or third episode called um, paths of glory. Um, don't ever watch it. It's awful. Okay. It's horribly racist. It's horribly stereo. Yeah. It's bad. And everyone involved is like, yeah, this was bad. This was so bad. So, <laughs> well, it happens, right? <laughs> yeah. What What is fun out there? I, I mean, I love the Deadpool movies, but apart from from that, like, uh, are there really laugh out loud comics or fictional characters that that you might know and be introduced me to? I'm trying to think. You know, it's kind of a bummer now, as I'm not reading as many comics as I like. Mm, yeah, because uh, I just got. I, you're creating, you're doing. Yeah, that happens with a lot of comic creators, writers, artists, all of it. You end up reading less comics as you make more. Um, I'm trying to think. What gives you joy? Like, for example, <laughs> what's your favorite thing to do when not working? Like that kind of thing. And then maybe we can, if it'll be on the back burner, and maybe you'll think of it. Yeah, I mean, my favorite thing to do when I'm not working, especially this past year, since I haven't been able to do it, is just to see friends right now. The other thing I do, and this has nothing to do with writing in any way, shape, or form, is I like to play in the kitchen and I homebrew and I cook. I saw that's that. my that's my different, that's the thing that works an entirely other part of my brain. It's much more hands-on. It's a whole other part of my brain. Um, while the writer part of my brain just kind of simmers in the background, I'm doing something different. So yeah, that's what I do for fun is I make homemade beer and share it with friends, or I make different dishes and try to share that with friends. Do you have two dishes or, or a beer that you're really proud of that you're like, oh, I killed that that you know IPA or whatever? It was a it's a Mexican stout that I created. I make it every year, and my friends always want it. I'm gonna have to start making more because it doesn't last long. Wow, that's <laughs> cool. What makes a Mexican yeah. stout a Mexican stout? Uh, the, I think it's the spices and the type of chocolate that I use. 
Um, it's not it's not a sweet dessert stout. When you hear when you hear a Mexican mocha, you think kind of sweet. This one's not. It's like drinking an alcoholic mole, which might sound <laughs> weird, but people love it. <laughs> that that's a great point. I mean, it just brought up to me. So, are you uh, are, are you fluent in Spanish? No. Okay. Unfortunately, no. Do you know uh, uh, what is the comic book world uh, for the Latino community? Is it robust? Is it is it are they focused on American comics? Do you know? Is that something that I should look into? Because I actually have one of my people that I that I've hired for social media. He's from Venezuela and he is mm-hmm. huge in the comics. And what, it, what's your experience? Uh, with my, that? my experience is that um, it's massive. They 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 love it. Um, there's this. It's not even really a joke, but there's this whole idea of like. And I can only speak towards kind of the Mexican experience, Mexican American experience, in that these folks grow up with mask heroes. Like, you know, the luchador is still the big thing. It may look cheesy, but it's still a big thing. So, you know, Mexican kids are comfortable with someone with a cape and a mask from like the day they look at a TV. It's, oh yeah, those are heroes. Those are the good guys. Those are the bad guys. So the concept of, you know, the superhero comic clicks really, really well uh, and does really well. In terms of creators, it's still a very underrepresented demographic. There are very few. And there are some groups that are trying to change that and they're making really positive steps, but it's still pretty underrepresented in terms of creators and original characters. But I think like as a blanket statement, I think um, I think comics are very well received in Central and South America. Has that been part um, of your mission to do to write a Mexican-American superhero yeah. or and you have that yeah. out there? Almost. Uh, <laughs> it's coming out. That's the okay. that goes back to the. But also, you know, Marvel and DC both have Latino characters that I feel like are very underutilized. And if I ever had a chance to run with one, like I would definitely go for it. What's that? America, right? Is she Puerto Rican or Puerto Rican? Yeah. Yeah. She, yeah. She's a member of the team is now. I remember her in the Young Avengers, America Chavez. And I believe she's going to. I think they have a Young Avengers movie planned and she's going to show up in that. I don't remember what team she's on in the books right now. I don't remember if it's the Defenders or. But yeah, she's she's a cool looking character. Yeah. Yeah. Marvel uh, also has uh, White Tiger, which they try to use every few years and they never quite get it right. I'd love to take a shot at White Tiger. Is that a Mexican-American or a Mexican? As a, yeah, it's gone back and forth. But yeah, the amulet is from an Aztec god and that's how they get their power. And Cool. Yeah. Yeah, they're pretty cool looking. I, this is a this is a great point. Marvel is what five thousand characters. <laughs> As a creator, right? How do you create something and go? Wait, has Marvel done this? Uh, or you know, and it has to be different enough that, or you know, it, it could talk about you can never do something that has to do with Aztec lore or, or whatever, or an amulet or something. What is what are those rules as a as a creator when you know that there's so much stuff out there? Uh, just ignore it. Okay. <laughs> um, don't blatantly rip off one of them because they're legal. will put the, 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 the hammer down on you so hard. But again, there are so many characters that it is almost impossible to make someone who is 100% original because there's always going to be the fan out there who says, Oh, you know what? This character is a lot like this pulp character who came out in 1933. <laughs> well, when's the last time a book came out of him? 1934. I mean, <laughs> There's always going to be that fan that their knowledge of comics is unfathomably deep. <laughs> so it's really hard to create someone that is 100% original. 
but it's all in what you do with it. You know, now you, you couldn't take a character and call them, I'm trying to think here. You couldn't take a character who watched, you know, their parents murdered in a dark alley and left them with a fortune. And when he decided to get revenge, he saw a, a raven pecking at someone and said, oh, that's right, I should become the raven. And all of a sudden it's a black outfit with like a raven cowl and he comes out of the raven cave. Like if you do that, yeah, you can't do that. Unless you're doing like a fun like parody, you could pull that off. Well, that's the thing. When I saw Invincible, it was like this Darkwing was a literal carbon copy of Batman. And then yeah, and, and I thought I thought, is this even legal? Uh, it's got to be because it's on TV. Yeah, and, uh, and I think it was. I, I think what John says was that it was it was on purpose. It was to get these tropes to give you. This is a, a superhero that crew that you all know and. I'm not going to get oh, away. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, because these some of these characters like Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, uh, Captain America, they've become, yeah, they're still owned IPs by these companies, but they have, for, they have essentially, they have entered their, their, their 20th century myths. They've, they've entered that level of our, of our culture. So they themselves have become a trope or a, a stereotype. And that's not, that's not said negatively. Right. The, the good creator or the creative person can take those concepts and then play with them. The one that always pops in my head is a book called The Authority uh, that's put out by DC now. It used to be Wildstorm, but they have these two characters named Apollo and the Midnighter. First off, it's clearly Apollo is Superman, the Midnighter is Batman. But in The Authority, uh, they're married to each other. Oh. And, you know, the Midnighter is extra gritty. Apollo is extra, I'm in the light. But they're also there. These two guys are like this married couple who adore each other because that's taken from every nerdy conversation you have, especially when you're an immature teen saying teen being like, can you imagine if Batman and Superman made out? <laughs> really <That'd be> funny. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's where it came from. But then eventually through I, I'm trying to remember, I feel bad if I get it wrong. I think Mark Miller created the authority. You know, he probably had that conversation over a pint when he was 18 with his with his mates over in Scotland or whatever. But adult him was like, wait a minute. What if that was? A thing. I take the same concepts, but then I just make them married and they have their own team. And okay, what can I explore with that? Yeah, maybe wow. it started as a joke, but what would it be if Batman and Superman were married and it was a legit loving relationship? But oh, they're also the two most powerful superheroes or whatever. Right. So you can take the tropes and then toot your spin on them and get fun stories out of it. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> That's cool. What what about um what is something weird? Or funny that happened at a book signing or a convention that you, that sticks out in your mind? Oh, my God. Okay. I've told the story a few times. It's still one of my favorite stories. I think it was around 2008. I had been invited as a member of press through Geek in the City to go to Dragon Con. So I was booking interviews with different celebrities that I wanted to interview for our podcast. And I was taught, I had ran into Lance Henriksen's handler at Dragon Con. And I said, hey, I'd love to, you know, here's like, he's like, yeah, I think Lance would be down for that. Your site seems like something he'd have fun talking about. It helped that I kind of buttered him up about, you know, I love, you know, I love, I love Near Dark. It's my favorite vampire movie. And he's one of the leads in that. He's like, sure, let me, um, you know, he's coming out of a, he's coming out of a panel. When he comes out, we'll, we'll hear a talk. He's like, hang out here by his table, by the, one of the exit doors of the main convention hall. Lance Henderson comes bursting out on his cell phone, holding a Coke, holding a, a, a like a can of soda. And he's yelling on the phone, horrible 
expletives. Turns out he was right in the middle of a very ugly divorce that was costing him a lot. It was not a pretty divorce. And his handler's there and his handler's trying, handy to talk to you. And Lance goes, like, oh, yeah, hold on, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> he sets the phone to his shoulder, shoves me the Coke. He just shoves the Coke at me. So I, I'm holding it like this. <laughs> he looks at his handle and he's, what is it? He's like, this guy wants to interview you. I told it would be cool. We'll set up a time. Fine. Gets back on the phone, yells, says something horrible, hangs up, shoves a phone in his pocket, grabs my soda, looks at me and says, kid, don't ever get bleeping married. It'll ruin your life. And I'm like, uh, hi, big fan. Can I get a picture for the interview? Sure. He's still furious from this phone call. And I should dig up the picture somewhere. It's me standing next to be like, I'm standing next to Bishop from Aliens. And he just looks like, just filled with rage as he sees half his bank account or his home just going away. Uh, and then he's, and then he, then he hands me the soda back and says, I'll talk to you later. And he just storms off. <laughs> his handler's like, I'm very sorry. I'll, I'll email you today and we'll hook. I was like, okay, um, here's his soda back. Like, <laughs> That's a great one. That's it was great. so weird. Yeah. That's good. Would that be considered your best Comic-Con experience or was there another one that you? I mean, that's probably the funniest one. I think it might've been the same show. I was at one of the after hours bars and I found myself in the bathroom uh, using, using the urinal and A.B. Brooks, Commander S Captain Cisco from DS9 comes in and uses it right next to me. And DS9 is my favorite trick. And the whole time in my head, I'm like, you'd be cool. You'd be cool. Don't. <laughs> Don't be a weird fan. Don't be a weird fan. We both, you know, finish the same time, wash our hands properly. I don't look over at him. I don't make like big fan. I don't do anything. He leaves. I take a little bit longer to dry. So I'm not like right there. He's waiting for me five feet out from the bathroom door. And he looks at me and he says, I can tell you're a fan. I appreciate you not making it weird. I'm Avery Brooks. I was like, oh, I know. <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm a big fan. He's like, I could tell, but you played the cool kid. And then he walked off. Avery Brooks, coolest man of all time. That's so cool. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah. How about that? That's a great, uh, what, what have you, what have you done in awkward situations? Like, like what's your go-to thing? If something gets really awkward, what is your out, your escape? Oh man. Cause I'm usually the awkward one. So I'm horrible at the escape. I will often rely, especially if I'm behind the table you know, as you know, the signing, I will rely on a friend who's helping me to be like, Hey, Aaron, don't you have that panel in a few minutes? <laughs> oh, you're right. Cause I'm so bad at um, pulling myself away from that. I'll just let know. it keep going because I've been, the, I've been the fan. First off, no one should ever be nervous talking to me. That's ridiculous. But I have been that nervous fan who's gone up to someone and be like, uh, and then just freezes. So I'm never going to want to end it. Cause I know how it feels when you walk away. Like I was an idiot. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, my friend cable Hashani, that one of the co-hosts, he is at the master at being able to end the awkward uh, conversation and he and he's so good at it he'll even say like i've seen him do this so i think we've said all we need to say um <laughs> i'm gonna go do my thing it was great talking to you and uh, i hope to see you have a great show and if we run each other again on the show say hi and he's out and i look at him like how do you and the person doesn't feel bad they're like oh okay yeah that makes sense I ask him, like how do you do that 
That's fantastic. He's like, and he was like, uh, well over a decade of dealing with artists at a gallery, you get very good at ending awkward conversations. Good for him. He's like, teach me your ways, sir. Yeah. What What is your superhero power or your power that that you are proud of? Is it your creativity? Is it your charm? Your bruise? What is it? I mean, I mean, maybe charm. I don't think I am, but I get told that I am. Totally. Um, I think my actual superpower has nothing to do with writing. I am one of those weird people that can pick out flavors in almost anything I eat or drink and be like, oh, that's some, oh, there's some thyme. Oh, and there's some, oh, that's a, like a roasted almond that they probably powdered up and put in here. Like I'm that weird person that. I love yeah, that almost, moment in the, uh, the Charlize Theron old guard movie where they give her the baklava and she's able, did you see that? Movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. That's you. That's great. Yeah. I don't mind being compared to Charlize Theron. That's Theron. That's fine. I'll, yeah. I'll, I can live with that. Yeah, she's awesome. Okay, wh- who who is an everyday superhero that you know personally that you're, or just a hero that you're, you know, that you, they, they're not your parents? Uh, super sappy, but I'd have to say my my spouse, my wife. Um, she is incredibly creative in things that I don't understand, and she's very focus driven. She's very driven. That's probably my biggest flaw as a creator is I get the idea and I start going with it, but then I'll, I'll lose track. She's the one that says, all right, well, put it on paper. What's the plan? How does it work? And I'm like, I don't know. She's like, well, we need to work on that. Wow. Um, yeah. Lucky. Um, you. Yeah. And she's just crazy creative. Her, hers is more of a tactile, um, like DIY stuff, but she'll make something out of nothing. And I'll be like, how did you do that? And her answer is always just did. So there's a lot of that. Yeah. You want to shout out and tell her name so we can follow her or not? She's pretty private actually, uh, which could be tricky being married to someone whose life has to be very public. She's very private. Cool. Well, yeah. Lucky good power couple over there. Yeah. Um, (laughs) In like two sentences, what's the social awareness that you want to talk about or you like to bring to light in your work? For me right now, it's it, and it has been for a while. It's still a lot of um, you know racial issues with the with the Latin community. I've always been passionate about it, but the issue at the border with like kids starting to get locked up, like that, just sent me into overdrive. And that's still something I like highly focus on. Um, I'm still angry that yeah, Biden's president and they don't call them camps anymore. Now they're relocation trailers. Like you know what? It's still happening. Yeah. You know, you didn't really reform ice. They're still being garbage. Mm. So that's 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 kind of the thing that I continually focus on a lot. That takes a lot of my social issues. Well, I mean, it really needs a spotlight because people out of sight, out of mind for a lot of people. So I'm glad. that. Yeah. And I kind of feel like the it's weird to say this, that the one drawback of Trump not being president now is we no longer have that galvanized focus on every awful thing he's doing. And I definitely 100% like Biden more, right. but he still inherited the machine that's doing the awful things and it's not changing. Yeah. But now we feel more comfortable because we don't have a maniac in the Oval Office. Amen. You're, you know, so that's kind of yeah. where I'm at on that. Yeah. And, you know, the, the progressives are pushing hard, which they got to continue to do. Uh, and even with what's going on in the Middle East, but that's a whole other thing. Okay. Right. Cool. What do you bring to your fans in an innovative way uh, in a couple sentences? Oh, man, an, an innovative approach to story? Yeah, or uh, different. I mean, it seems like you're doing multiple, you're reaching out through different mediums, whether it's, you know, in, in media, 
that's something that you know a lot of creators don't have that capability to to do all I, the things. I think the thing for me that's most important in terms of my storytelling and reaching fans is I don't want my work to be a passively consumed media. Mm. I want my readers or viewers to feel like they are part of this world. And that's not to say they get to tell me what to do, but I don't, I don't want them to just consume it passively. Like reach out to me, tell me your thoughts, you know, play around with it and stuff like that. That's very much kind of where I, I live. I enjoy the interaction. Oh, that's so cool. And that's something that I'm very focused on. Um, mm -hmm. uh, we'll talk more about that another time. Uh, <laughs> is Besides your brewing and your uh, taste testing magic, is there something quirky, uh, a party trick that you can do? I honestly don't know. Yeah. I'm sorry. I feel like I left you high and dry on that. I no, that's know. fine. I mean, I took it. It's because your party trick is basically being able to change, taste the time or or to roasted toasted almond and anything that's pretty cool <laughs> yeah that's good i could eat anything almost anything that's really hot i don't really do it anymore but friends used to love to bring different peppers to see if they could break me <laughs> or hot sauce so they'll be like yeah that's hot you're like really what? you're not crying i'm like yeah it's good <laughs> it's, it's just heat there's no flavor to it I'm like forget it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i kind of admire that all right one word answer or it could be a phrase. What is your feel-good movie or TV show? It's going to be Star Trek. Star like Trek. Whenever, I, whenever I need to feel good about, like, say the world's a garbage fire and I need to feel like it'll be okay, I'll put on Star Trek. The only other option, only other divergence from that is if I've had a completely horrible day, like personally, I'll sometimes put on Evil Dead 2 because no one had a worse day than Ash in that movie. And that movie just cracks me up. It's just a gory Looney Tunes and I adore it. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> That's fantastic. All right. That's great. <laughs> One word answers. Favorite comfort food? Tacos. What character would you love to have a text battle with? What not Star Trek Q, not Bond Q. Q. Okay, cool. What superhero has the smelliest costume? The Hulk. <laughs> Those shorts have got to be stanky as all get out. Uh, what characters have you shipped? Um um, I don't do it a whole lot. I think with a friend, I jokingly shipped um, Forever Carlisle from Lazarus with Wonder Woman. Okay, <laughs> great. Song that was after many beers. That's great. Song that you sing in the shower. Oh, no. I don't know. Okay. Oh, no. That's fine. That's fine. Sweet or salty? Salty. Fly or teleport? Fly. Do you have dance moves? Yes, they are very bad ones. <laughs> I do know. I have dance moves. They're very bad ones. <laughs> That's great. Um, I do it usually when I'm all alone and I'm either cooking or cleaning. Watch any old concert footage of Freddie Mercury and that is how I dance. <laughs> Often two Queen songs, though. <laughs> I love it. When <laughs> aliens arrive, will you run out of the to meet them, watch it on TV or build a bunker? Ah, oh, man, I'm such a futurist. I run out to him. I'll probably get disintegrated, but I run out to him. I love it. Are you an introvert or extrovert? I think I'm more extroverted than introvert. I used to believe the opposite, but not anymore. Super strong or super smart? Super strong. Ooh. Yeah. Be Interesting. Beach, mountains, or forest? I love the forest. No. Can I say like Oregon beaches? I like the rocky shores. That's great. There you go. Yeah, that. 
Would you rather lose the ability to lie forever or believe whatever you're told forever? Probably lie forever. Boy, I would feel bad for some people. I'm sure I'd be a jerk. <laughs> a piece of art or illustrator's work that really moved you? Oh, she's going to so blush when she hears this. A few years ago, I met a woman named uh, Lauren Snow at an event, and her art just completely blew me away. I bought one of her original pieces without even blinking. It's literally this side of the desk, and I look at it almost every day. Uh, there's something about her style that just, every time I see her post a picture, I see a story behind it, and I adore it. Yeah, her name's Lauren, Lauren Snow. Lauren Snow, yeah, we'll shout out to her. Is there a, a writer <laughs> that really uh, inspires you that you're, that you're, yeah? Well, I, I have many. It's still, you know, like I said, it was a dream to work with them, but Greg Rucka is one of the writers that very much in, inspired me to get into comics. Oh, that's so cool. Which I'm sure he felt bad about because comics is one of the hardest industries. <laughs> How about a <laughs> favorite comic-related media? I like video games. I'm always impressed by the Arkham games from Warner Brothers, but there's also a storytelling game that's also Batman related. I say what you will about him, but I think those Arkham games told a really interesting full arc story that had a definitive beginning and an ending, even if they keep doing sequels. It was it was really impressive. Really impressive who, take on it. Who would your favorite superhero be? I mean, it's cliche, but it's probably Batman. Like that's who I grew up with. Even though like, I have no desire to write Batman anymore, like I can't help it. I'm always going to love that look, that cowl, that cape, you know. I am the knight. Like I can't help it. <laughs> okay. New York or Chicago style pizza? Oh, Chicago. I'm sorry, New York friends. <laughs> uh, anybody that you want to give a shout out to? Uh, well, you know, probably my co-hosts, you know, Denise and Cable. Um, they usually are the ones that have to put up with my rambling on a weekly basis. My spouse, who's been super supportive and, uh, you know, our, our, our friend together, uh, Sean Wynn, who is so good at connecting creators and building bridges that, um, yeah, always got to show him some love and respect. Yeah. I'm so and that's not that. why I picked Chicago pizza, Sean. I do <laughs> think it's better than New York. You guys are terrible. <laughs> Sorry, New York pizza is good, but if I want that, I'll just put tomato sauce and stuff on a tortilla and fry it. It'll do the same thing for me. Oh my God, the hate I'm going to get for that. <laughs> what a pleasure to meet you. I'm so, so grateful that Sean, I learned so much from, from this conversation. Thanks. I had a lot of fun too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I will. I will keep you in the loop and I will follow you and, and, and I can't wait to hear your new announcement and, uh, me either. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I will do your Star Trek challenge. Uh, I think that's great. Um, so I mean, to be continued, we're comic book curious. We're launching next week. So I don't know when we'll, we'll put this up, but we're kind of, I have a lot of Broadway friends and some TV actor friends. So we're mixing it with Broadway people, actor people, writer people, and also just fans. Uh, again, same kind of interest that you that you have is to make this an inclusive type of space. Cool. Well, maybe one day I'll pop on one of your Broadway fans. They can hear my crazy idea of turning The Hunt for October into a stage musical. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I don't <laughs> <laughs> They tried the best with idea, but I... They yeah. tried it with Titanic. It, it worked. Uh, ish. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I'm still yeah. workshopping it. 
my best friend is a Broadway producer, so if you have a pitch for it, let me know. All right. <laughs> cool. What a pleasure to meet you, Aaron. Thank you so much for doing this and to be continued, sir. Yeah, thanks a lot, Nate. It's good to talk to you. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.